This is Included, the podcast. Conversations toward a greater understanding of the inclusive love of Jesus. Unpacking the mystery and wonder of the Word of God for those seeking an affirming, equitable Salvation Army for others. Thanks for joining. We invite you to take a posture of listening and exploring as we seek together the good news for the whosoever. Well, welcome to Included the Podcast. And today we're going to speak a little bit about the Salvation Army and its international context and LGBTQ plus inclusion and the complexities that that um, presents. My name is uh, Rebecca Cottrell and I'm a core officer in East London, serving for the UK territory, but I'm originally from Sweden. And um, I'm part of the Included team, and if you want to get in touch with the Included team or have more resources or find out more more information, just go on Facebook and type Included page, and you will find us there, or you can go to the webpage, includedpage.com, so Included page in one word. Um, And today we're going to unpack some of these complexities, and uh, I've got some people, some guests with me today. Uh, to help me do that. And uh, first of all, I would like to introduce and welcome uh, Captain Chris Holliday, who's an officer from Melbourne in Australia, but he's currently leading a team replanting two cores in the inner city with a focus of being fully affirming a place of welcome, uh, family and worship. Um, Chris has also served as an officer in Perth in the remote city of Darwin, and on the west coast of Sweden, where I initially met you, Chris, uh, where our path kind of crossed, because that's my home core that you were a core officer for. So that was a lovely meeting uh, and where we kind of became friends first. Uh, but prior to officership, you were part of planting a team and a mission worker at the Savills Melbourne 614 Corps. You also um, has a, a Bachelor of Community Development and Australian Indigenous Studies. Uh, a graduate certificate in leadership, and you have recently completed his Master in Arts in Leadership with a thesis looking at the process of dialogue and change within the Salvation Army internationally. And that's why it's so good that you're here today, because that kind of really speaks into this uh, discussion. And you have uh, great knowledge, actually, on some of that process and complexities for us. Uh, So we're really grateful for that. But also with me today, I've got another friend and colleague, uh, Lieutenant Nazia Yusuf, who is a Pakistani officer who has recently trained as an officer in the UK territory and serving in Stockport outside Manchester in the UK. But prior going into officership, Nazia has worked on a number of development projects. Um, she has been an educator and a trainer for groups on health issues, working with communities to gain a broader understanding of different issues of gender equality, but also on issues uh, that uh, they face in Pakistan as being a religious minority. So she comes with a wealth of experience uh, from a health issue and from a development issue, and also with a context uh, that's very different to that of my own or from Chris's as well. So we're really grateful that Nasia is kind of joining the conversation and shedding some light on things that we perhaps haven't got a, a window into. 
So uh, hello and welcome <laughs> to you both. Um, I'm going to ask, uh, start with Chris actually, and uh, begin just unpacking some of, of the findings in your research. And then I'll bring in uh, Narcia. Uh, you can chip in at any time uh, as well, but especially talking about the international uh, complexities. I'd like to start though, Chris, with saying today you're a guest, but normally you've been a host because you're part of the included team. Um, and I think just publicly, I'd like to say a great thank you for your leadership of uh, the included uh, drive that's happened over the last couple of years. You've been a driving force and um, you've really been um, a passionate leader and we are so grateful for your leadership and relentless hope and passion that just uh, comes from you. So thank you for that. And um, we're so grateful that you uh, pushed to do this MA so that we can, we you can help us unpack today <laughs> a little bit about change, policy, the international army and the complexity that is. I'll just read your um, your title, which is a mouthful. Sure. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> then you can help us unpack what it means. Okay. Absolutely. So, <laughs> Changing attitudes, orders and regulation, assessing grassroots activism and the let's talk process in the Salvation Army in regards to same sex relationships. So um, that is, is like a, a good it is, it is a lot of words, isn't it? <laughs> it's like a paragraph, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, it encompasses what we need to talk about. So um, this is, can you just give us a general overview about what your research touches on so I know there's some key events or key um things in there that you've specifically looked at absolutely um, would you mind just giving us the broad strokes of that yeah for sure and thanks for the great introduction and, and I, I do uh yeah I, I, thank you for the acknowledgement too and I, I must say that it is an incredible team of people across the world that are part of the included team that are all sort of harnessing the, the inner desire that so many people have around the world to, to see, you know, dialogue and change in this area as a mission imperative, and and that's so much of what drove this research. Um, I, I was I was aware that, that as we were undertaking activities through the included team, but also just as I was having conversations with people around the world, some of it in as part of my ministry, and some of it uh, just in in trying to understand what's happening in the Salvation Army in regards to inclusion, affirmation, equity for those people who are gender or sexuality diverse. And I'll use that phrase a bit um, through the course of this as, as the term to, for, to really encompass all of those who are somewhat diverse in their gender or their sexuality as opposed to sort of giving a bit of a tag, we might say LGBTQIA+, for example. Because it's important to remember that what we're talking about here are real people uh, people who aren't a label, who aren't a tag, uh, and many cases, people within the Salvation Army. Now, this is a mission imperative for us because it, it's about how we minister, how we do mission to the world. It's about people who see us from outside and think that we're an unsafe church or an unsafe movement and unable to come and even get assistance from us. But it's also about accepting and acknowledging that within the Salvation Army, there's a whole range of people who are gender or sexuality diverse. We are the Salvation Army. This isn't, we can't other. We can't make another out of out of this group of people. Um, so, 
Back to your question. Sorry, Rebecca. Um, but there was a few things. <laughs> what about again? <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's been a growing awareness at a few different levels of the Salvation Army uh, since around 2013. In fact, from international headquarters, uh, there's been an, an awareness of the, the growing desire and need for change, or to reconsider, or at least have dialogue around areas of human sexuality. So the general, who's the world leader of the Salvation Army, sort of our version of the Pope, for those of you who aren't connected with the Salvation Army, and a number of territorial commanders will be coming increasingly uh, sensitive to the internal and the external desire uh, for change. So that was quite well known since around 2013. So we're edging 10 years now since at that top level and at sort of middle level, the territorial commanders, or, or generally speaking, the national sort of com- commanders, if you, if you know, to, to make sense of that, were aware that it, it, we needed theological exploration on this issue. Another moving part in this was a top-down initiative that took place, uh, again, instituted by the general, called Let's Talk. And this was a process uh, of faith-based facilitation. And the idea was that people around the world in the Salvation Army would have discussions and dialogues facilitated in groups to start to raise some of these questions around human sexuality. At the same time, there was an increase around that period from 2013-ish, a real increase in grassroots advocacy and activism. We started to see more and more people in the Salvation Army around the world stand up for their gender or sexuality diverse friends, People who were gender or sexuality diverse were starting to stand up and speak up within the Salvation Army. We started to see Salvationists at things like Pride events. Um, and we saw Facebook groups start to pop up. We saw theological forums start to sort of address this issue. And a lot of it was happening from the, from the grassroots, people at that local core level, local program level, local social service level. That was the third moving wheel. And then the biggest moving wheel of them all came uh, in uh, 2021, when uh, the orders and regulations were revised. Now, these are the this is the guidebook that sort of undergirds faith and practice for people who are affiliated with the Salvation Army. Uh, so, in particular, the orders and regulations for soldiers or uniformed members of the Salvation Army were revised, and that came with a letter from the general that went to every Salvationist in the world. And as part of that. Um, new orders and regulations, the position of the Salvation Army on marriage and on on homosexual marriage or same-sex marriage was affirmed as being between a man and a woman and it was further confirmed in the documents that the only way to remain a member of the Salvation Army, a soldier of the Salvation Army, an officer or minister in the Salvation Army, if you if you were same sex attracted, was to remain single and celibate. That that marriage was just between a man and a woman. And this letter that came from the general made that really clear. Of all the issues that were covered for um, soldiers, for members, this one issue was pulled out and highlighted uh, uh, that there is no desire for change at this time. Mm. Uh, so that huge moving piece happened at the same time as these other three. So a, a, an international awareness from 2013 that there was a desire and a missional imperative for theological exploration, that there was a growing grassroots movement calling for, advocating for change, uh, and that there was this uh, top-down approach called Let's Talk. It's meant to be small groups happening across the world. Actually, what I found is none of them had happened. There were very few examples of these happening. So despite there being an, a, 
interest, uh, an interest and an awareness of the need to talk, a process that had failed to get people talking, and a whole bunch of people on the grassroots saying we want to talk, we ended up then with the, the fourth moving wheel, which was a rule and a guide that said we ain't changing. So a lot of that didn't make sense, which led me to start asking the questions and doing this research to understand some of the complexities that led to those things. Yeah, some major events really in very recent history. We're not talking about 10 years ago. I mean, the letter from the general came about a year, exactly a year ago, actually. And um, just tell us a little bit about that letter and what was in it. What what reaction did it cause? And... um, yeah. Well, yeah. So the letter, which which was yeah. released in July 2021, um, and it, it, uh, basically there was there was a line in there from the general saying that there was not any desire to move away from our current articulated view. Yeah. Now this came as a real body blow to many people who were working for change or at least a dialogue within the Salvation Army, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is because there there was such a growing momentum around the world, and not just in in places like the UK or Europe or Australia, but growing momentum you know, in in America, in places like Chile, uh, the the mm-hmm. need and the understanding of the need as a missional imperative for us to start talking about this, so that we can be known as a safe church so that we can be known as a safe uh, social service provider, so that we can keep getting government funding to keep operating our social services. And there had been talk for a number of years, whenever people had been uh, making requests from headquarters, either nationally or internationally, to try to engage in dialogue or to find out the Salvation Army's position, we kept being told, we're not making any statements yet. There's nothing to talk about until we have these discussions, until these faith-based facilitations called Let's Talk happen. So there was a lot of hope from people that we would have these discussions first. There would then be some sort of forums or symposiums where these issues might be discussed, and then we might get to the point where the world leaders and the general actually reviews the position. What we ended up with yeah. was the end of the story happening first, which is before any of the conversations have happened, the book gets yeah. slammed down, the door gets shut, nothing is changing. Uh, we, and look, to put it in context, the last revision of the orders and regulations was around 30 years ago. These aren't documents that are revised regularly. They're a huge body of work that have been many, many years in the making. Uh, and this one, in fact, was was postponed and delayed, I found the research should have been released a bit earlier. So the fact that we have this really strong red line now meant that for a lot of people who were advocating and hoping for change as a mission imperative, uh, lost hope yeah. uh, and in many cases left the army because yeah. this was this was the, the sort of closing of the door uh, and they saw that the, the rule could come down before anyone had even mm. had a chance to talk about it. Uh, one recurring thing that keeps popping up in my head is the issue around dialogue mm. and how we we talk about things and actually how our structure as a Salvation Army, as a hierarchical movement with a specific command, um, you know, there isn't really space for dialogue within our structure as it is. Um, yet there was a, a proposed way of trying to put that forward, but that's miserably 
felled by the sounds of it, or it's not even maternalized. Um, it hasn't. As of yet. Yeah. And my research, I should say, uh, consisted mostly of interviews, and I had some fantastic support from territorial leaders within the Salvation Army who gave really openly of their time and, and honestly and uh, in their answers and as well as people on the ground, grassroots salvationists. And this came up, you know, this this fact that we just don't listen very well. One one person said that leadership has taken a headmaster-style posture. It's not easy to have dialogue. In fact, that, that officer was from Western Europe and said that the, the conversation had just been uh, shut down. Another said that we put proposals to DHQ to have these, these conversations and we just don't hear anything back. Uh, this is the culture we have. Very few people are in the room. Um, another senior leader said, and this is now talking about dialogue at a senior level, so it's not even grassroots trying to get up, but at a senior level, uh, he said, oh, I've been a part of too many things where we give recommendations and never hear another word. Nothing ever happens. That becomes a part of our story as a movement. People give up and start not giving feedback. They don't work for reform because, well, no one listens. Another leader, a territorial commander uh, who'd been to three recent international conferences said, you could photocopy the recommendations from one to the other and nothing much had happened. The Salvation Army spends a lot of money. Some of us put in a lot of time. We work really hard and yet our international headquarters has done nothing with the outcome. Uh, mm. we, we just don't have a culture of listening, it seems, and this is something that's really structurally embedded uh, there, there just isn't uh, it's not in our makeup unfortunately to have these sort of conversations and dialogues uh, but there was one really big structural issue uh, we found through the research and that was uh, around this middle layer we have in the Salvation Army of, of territorial leaders. It's interesting because I did some studies on accountability and the Salvation Army leadership structure for my BA and like it saddens me to say, but I read reading your piece of work, I'm really not surprised by the findings, which is kind of sad because accountability, transparency, and um, even the the feeding back is not something that is part of our culture. So when we propose dialogue, or even when the institution itself like asks for dialogue and wants us to dialogue, we are unable to do it and. The, the perimeters that it was asked to do with was that these are not conversations for change. They are just yeah. about talking, which, um, and, I mean, that is uh, a real blockage to dialogue, isn't it? Absolutely. And what's really interesting about Let's Talk is there's actually no mechanism for feedback. So yeah. we have these conversations, and the idea is that people around the world will have conversations around human sexuality. There is a feedback form at the end, but people who have done the facilitations report that actually they never hear anything back from the feedback that's given. And that feedback is generally around how does the course go, you know, to understand what quirks there might be in the model. There isn't an opportunity to feedback. Actually, what are the themes that you're hearing? There's, there's no mechanism for headquarters to understand what people on the ground are doing. And it's interesting you say about uh, setting up the, the dialogue. Actually, the, the opening page of the faith-based facilitation material in regards to same-sex relationships says um, the idea of faith-based facilitation, of course, is everybody dialogues, we all listen to each other, nothing is off the table except we're not going to change. 
on this issue. That's the starting point. So you get a lot of people saying, well, hang on, if nothing's going to change, what's the point of talking? Yeah. Isn't, isn't yeah. the idea of dialogue so that if there is a need discovered to change, then, then something uh, something will? Um, I did yeah. have one, one leader who said, from what I've seen at IHQ and of the general, there is a desire to hear from the front line. However, they hear the people closest to them the loudest. Another one said that these messages, these desires for change probably are being heard at the very top, but through multiple filters. And this is one that speaks very much to what we were just talking about. One leader said, we're being schooled to be an organisation which is autocratic. What the leader tells you to do and to think, that's what you do. And to think, we're just not good at listening. And they, they went on to suggest that sometimes they are listening the problem is if you don't tell people you're listening and that you're trying to deal with it and grapple with it, then people become despondent. And there are some cultural differences too, and I think this shows about the different ways that the army operates in different parts of the world. An officer in the United States says, uh, nobody talks because I don't think anybody feels they are allowed to. Leadership are too caught up on trying to maintain or defend their own position to really appreciate the need to listen and to hear. Uh, another noted that he, after he met with his TC about human sexuality, nothing ever came. There was not a follow-up. There was not an email. Uh, and, and that's where we lead to this idea that actually on the grassroots, people feel that just no one's listening. Uh, but then you also get this sense that senior leaders are also saying no one's listening to us either. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, because... Um... I suppose it highlights what happens in a lockdown situation when you don't ha- you have permission to talk, but it only in a certain way. Um, and actually, what what's going to happen with that is already decided, and it puts you kind of a, a mouthcloth over your you know your face where you um, it doesn't go anywhere. And I suppose that the the purpose of dialogue is is for both parts to change or for to discover something new, to grow and to explore, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, too, of course, is in, in, you know, just, just quickly, in, in, yeah. in the mainstream world, dialogue and change and conversations like this are a part of everyday society. So yeah. people are looking, and we think particularly of gender and sexuality diverse people who are looking to understand themselves and God and or, or maybe heterosexual people who are looking to un- make sense of their, their friends and family who, who are gender or sexuality diverse. If they're not seeing dialogue happening in the church around this, they're going to go elsewhere, and they do. Mm-hmm. And so we lose them. Mm-hmm. We lose them to the church. We lose them to the army. We lose them to the yeah. mission. Um, is something that, that, again, came up really strongly in, in the research is that young people are distancing themselves from the Salvation Army. Uh, one officer noted that parents of children who are gender or sexuality are diverse are leaving due to the moral anxiety of lying to people at church, and that's due to the church's stand, but also its lack of teaching and resources. There is a really important need for us to talk and to mm. think that somebody is listening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just before we move on to some of the um, key reasons why we haven't seen change, um, I'd just like you to touch on where the dialogue worked. And, and you mentioned Chile as one uh, little glimpse. What can happen a, when we yeah. do talk and when it's pushed in the with the right agenda 
yep. which is set from the leader. Absolutely. And and this was, interestingly, this the, the model in Chile, which is, is really worth talking about, came about because mm-hmm. there was a leader in that territory at that time who wanted to see these conversations happen. And again, this is where the block. So we had we had the international head office saying, we need you talking. Here's yeah. material. The great material was produced by international headquarters. So let's talk about same sex. We had people on the grassroots saying, we want to talk. Something went wrong in the middle. It was that yeah. level of, of territorial leaders where it was blocked. Whereas in, in Chile, uh, we saw the opposite, and I just want to very quickly before I get to that, pick up on on that because that that this 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 block came up really strongly that it it was very much about that middle layer that there was this perhaps old hierarchical thinking that if the general instructs the territorial leaders to do something, they'll just do it, and of course they haven't. Uh, they've just gone about and and done their own thing. But in Chile, we see something quite different. And they actually didn't just roll out the faith-based facilitations, they completely remodelled it. I I don't even know if that was the intended thing, but they looked at this material and realised that these conversations are really intense, they're very deep, they need to be expertly led, not just by people who understand faith-based facilitations. So they actually got some people involved in psychology and in uh, sexual therapies to get together and rework the material. So these people with specialties in human sexuality reworked the material, they translated it into their own language, they melded it into their own cultural context, and then these conversations happened in Chile. And it's probably one of the standout examples of where Let's Talk has happened, but also Mm -hmm. one of the great success stories in the fruits of that because people that were a part of it and know people who are a part of it are now talking much more openly because of mm. the way that that was rolled out uh, in, of all places, mm. Chile. The reason that's interesting is because we often hear that it's parts of the world like Chile or like Pakistan or like some of our African nations that are holding us back, whereas what we actually see is if we give people the opportunity and we give people the resources, they will embrace the conversation. Mm. That's, that's amazing isn't it because it um and it is about contextualization you know it is about understanding the processes that are at work and maybe this is a really great point to bring Nasia into our conversation and into the room um and and just to shed some light on your specific context and understand that it is different and you know not the whole world is never going to be the same uh, but we need to contextualize and understand what's going on in different parts and adjust accordingly um and I wonder Nasi if you could could you just tell us a little bit about Pakistan can you speak about LGBT just tell us the basics kind of can you even speak about these things in your context or what does it look like uh if we talk about LGBT we can talk about transgenders. There is soft corner for that. Government of Pakistan is working on that. They are even like just past few years, they are like lots of work has been done. Some new laws has been launched. Even Salvation Army in Pakistan is working with transgenders, how we can develop them and all that. But when it comes to sexuality, the word sex is like a taboo to talk about and it doesn't matter 
in what way we talk about so and there is like the gender and general understanding of sexuality is the sexual act itself it's not that broader like how you feel or whatever and there is no um, yes there is ignorance because we don't talk about it this is something we will not just talk it's not acceptable but there are ways to talk about it uh, for the past few years actually uh, through salvation army platform uh we actually talk about uh, sexual and reproductive health we had sessions with men and women to tell to talk about their bodies and how our body function and all that and uh, in fact in our health uh, mod, uh, manual which was published years ago uh, we actually included uh, things on like chapters on sexual health and all that so before doing that actually uh, we went to the divisional leaders and divisional team and asked them is this the time can we include something like that and they said yes people want to know about their bodies now mm. so there is there is like it's just now that people have started to talk about it but when it comes to same sex because it's illegal and uh, and it's like it's an islamic country where there is this like re- big religious uh, influence on the people's mind and hearts so this is something it's very black and white condition mm. it's stop it's like straight away it's like no we will not talk about it but when it comes through gender and health you know how our body work how our mind works that's the point when people um i have i felt that they they, they want to listen is how sensitively we talk about it so if i refer to let's talk about i was part of the group i was one of the participant when we talk about uh let's talk about so um the facilitators they are like they're the best people but i think they were like not trained in to talk with community regarding these matters like they they are maybe good in theology and all that but not so talking about single mother or same sex in a pakistani context it was like it was alien thing it's mm-hmm. not our this is not something that that's in our culture so people were like even why we are talking about what that mm-hmm. meaning is what that is you, you know because it's it feel it's seen as a choice and it's yeah. like a bad choice so mm-hmm. and all that was there and then i was asked to conduct a session with the executive leaders on lgbt like what is this this was also part of the let's talk about and so when even talking about what's the meaning of lgbtq and what all that is it was interesting session majority was not even looking at me you know it was like this kind of thing and but there were few who were really engaged into that and there was a silence in the room the weird one but not negative there was like a desire to try to understand what what all that is you know this is not something that wasn't something because we talk about so it's all kind of very new into the culture mm. just to even listen about it yeah so this is where we are in in pakistani cultural context is yeah this is not a topic it, this is not a need at the moment yet like this is not something yeah. there are some liberals and some like people who are educated group i'll say the young group and it's like i say about uh like yeah my age group people who are interested to know they are mm-hmm. trying to educate themselves on the topic 
but it's it's very initial it's very new but but yeah. it had just started just to get understanding why world is talking about it why it's very important why it is important in some some cultural context you know it's mm. it's like they are in a edge they really want to to come to some conclusion but here where we are in pakistan we are just on the beginning even even not beginning i'll say yeah there's mm. like kind of a need yeah and it's interesting because i think that there has to be an appreciation of both sides so we see an appreciation for how pakistan is trying to wrestle with the concept that there's even not awareness to or that you can't even legally <laughs> um approach it um but also there has to be appreciation for the urgency in other territories and it is complex like we're not naive enough to think that this is not a complex issue um uh, it, it is there's there's something really interesting in that in in the, the two different contexts um and, and this this comes up a lot you know that that we 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 we're an international army and that there are parts of the observation army world where this isn't discussed there's there's two things i think we need to look at there and the, the first one is that in those other parts of the world so you know europe the uk america australasia um this is an absolutely vital issue for mission and sometimes that gets overlooked that we are seeing huge numbers of people leave the salvation army we're seeing people um as i say unwilling to come to the salvation army whether that's for uh, you know faith community or support um one of the leaders senior leaders i spoke to said that change is important for mission because we are still an unsafe movement another said that if um the uh, we don't change then the army's brand is going to become toxic around this uh another said we are in trouble we're a dying movement and while change may come i don't know if it's fast enough to hold the army together so we see that it really are that really is an important issue one officer said um this is absolute missional importance it's crucial because we are intentionally segregating who our mission can really embrace it's cruel and unkind to bring you into somewhere that is never going to embrace you Mm-hmm. um so we see uh, so one more thing one person said uh, we risk droves of people leaving because restoration reconciliation inclusivity are all part of the mission and the mission is about the kingdom of god and to declare mm-hmm. jesus lord means that all get to co-create and at the moment we're in our structure uh, against that so that's the context in 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 the part of the world i'm at and in you know europe and the united states canada but the thing that we also overlook in parts of the world like Pakistan and in African nations and the Philippines and Indonesia is the great threat and great risk to people who are gender or sexuality diverse that in those countries where it is uh, illegal in some cases to to be found to be having a same sex relationship people are tortured people are beaten people are murdered because of their sexuality this is a fundamental human rights issue a fundamental justice issue a fundamental life issue which we should be concerned about as the salvation army uh, and we're not talking about this because it is seen as a taboo so so we we're missing this really important piece of the puzzle here which is that lives are being lost people are being tortured because of their sexuality in these parts of the world where the conversation isn't happening and that's something that's being missed 
there's a, a, a Salvation Army who officer I know who is in uh, the, the South Asia area, and he's a gay man who is in the in the closet, and he's uh, regularly fearing for his life because of the context that he's in and the fear that if he ever gets found out, he will be murdered and he can't turn to his church for support and assistance because it's so misunderstood. Now, again, it's not just about people within the Salvation Army, but that's an illustration right, of what's yeah. happening in the bigger picture. So that's, I think that feeds into some of this complexity we talk about internationally. Absolutely. And I think what, you know, we need to, I think sometimes one of the key reasons as to why the army can't change on the matter is because of the international context. Um, And I think at this point, it's not good enough to say we can't change because it's complex. Uh, We need to look at ways of how we can move change on despite it being (laughs) complicated. And uh, I, I wonder if Nasia could help with this. So I think looking at change um, and if things were to change, how do you think the army in Pakistan would be affected um, if the Salvation Army in some territories would change to be inclusive of same-sex couples, say? Um, Could you let us into a window of what you think in terms of how that would affect your territory? I think we can learn from other churches. So we can study of their approach and how they did it. So in Pakistan, there are four mainstream churches recognized by Pakistan government. Salvation Army is one of them, that second is Catholic, and Presbyterian Church of Scotland, and Church of Pakistan. And Church of Pakistan is like an umbrella of Methodist Church and Evangelical Church, and like they all are under one uh, umbrella. So there are actually... Uh, Church is like Methodist and Church of Scotland. I, I think they have changed their position on that. But it doesn't affect actually the mission in uh, church in Pakistan. So actually, I spoke with a few of my friends back home who are ministers of uh, these uh, churches. So they said like they are very clear with their positional statement that they are not going to accept it. And it, like it's not going to happen. This is not what is the... Needed in Pakistan yet, but they are. They can see that this is the thing that's required. This is the thing that other churches need to move forward with in the rest mm-hmm. of the world. So this was a concern that what if the position will change, Pakistan, like other territories will change, how we, it will impact uh, Salvation Army in Pakistan. But again, we have this. We can look at that. It doesn't affect mm-hmm. us, like. Church in Pakistan, Church of Pakistan position or anything. So maybe this is a way forward. We can see, we can look, we can study more about it. We can look it into that. Yeah. I think that's also. Yeah. Chris. I was just going to say, we've also seen the same. We have, like Nasia says, we've actually got quite quite a a bit to study in this regard because the, the Methodist Church in the United Kingdom now, of course, has become affirming and inclusive we don't see that that's having any real impacts on the branches of the church the church of england is 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 moving on this no great impacts there are churches that are inclusive and affirming that operate in in places like pakistan and in african nations and we're just not seeing any great risk 
uh, or threat to the church branches in those countries. So I, I can't help but think it's time that we uh, call that for what it is, which which is a, a bit of a diversion tactic perhaps, or oh, maybe it's fear, genuine held fear. Uh, that, that you they're, know they're, what there, there was? Okay, sorry. There was like concern that uh, what the rest of the churches will think if anything happened in, in the Suresh dance. But I can see that like all the churches are in the same boat now. And all this means to dream churches in Pakistan. I think they can come together and they can talk about it. And um, I, I, they support each other. They like they they have very good relationship back home with each other. So there is something I think when they sit together, they can support each other in in their cultural context and see where the rest of the world needed to go ahead. Absolutely. Um... It's it's wonderful, isn't it? When we, you know, somebody described to me that the Salvation Army is like this big dysfunctional family. And I think that's the best description uh, that I've ever had because it's the appreciation that we are family. We are, you know, bound together in this unique thing, uh, which is similar for other churches as well and denominations. And actually, we're not paving the wave on this issue. We, we can learn from others who already have gone before us and um, we can learn from from, from those um, situations and uh, we can still apply some of it to, to ourselves. Um, but that's not to say that we are somewhat dysfunctional <laughs> uh, in, in many ways. Um, so so what, where do we see hope in all of this? I know there's a lot of tensions and there's a lot of things that I suppose um, with dialogue um, it is a, a bridge in itself. Um, but where can we kind of find consolation um, knowing about different cultural contexts? And what would you say, Chris? You have some recommendations in your research that you suggest <laughs> um, for the army. And uh, um, I wonder if some of those are kind of applicable to our conversation in terms of where dialogue can head. Um, uh, absolutely. Look, not that I imagine anyone in the Salvation Army is listening to my recommendations, of course. Um, <laughs> oh, look, I am we're not going, that good at listening yet. We're not that good at listening. And look, we have look, we have a, 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 a human sexuality symposium coming up in a couple of months in the Salvation Army, which is a little bit hopeful. Yeah. It's great yeah. that we're talking. It also comes with a bit of... Uh, Frustration, I guess, because it seems that generally speaking, gender and sexuality diverse voices have been excluded from that conversation. So there are uh, only one that that we can we can ascertain person who would be diverse is going to this symposium on human sexuality, and you do have to ask yourself if we were to have a sexuality on uh, women's rights, would we only invite one woman? Uh, you know, we've got a long way to go because the voices are still being excluded from the conversation. There's that old adage, you know, you, you, nothing about us without us, and we don't mm. quite seem to get that in the Salvation Army yet. And so that that's a frustration. But we do take hope that the conversations are happening. We take hope in places in places like Chile. It would be great if the Salvation Army would enter into a set period of dialogue and discernment, you know, of seeking God on, on this. We understand that there are different views. We understand that people have, have, have different interpretations of the scripture and different understandings of sexuality and 
humanity and that we do have an international uh, context to work through. But perhaps we actually need it as a, a global Salvation Army to say for the next two years, we're going to talk, we're going to listen, we're going to seek God, we're going to discern. So there'll be no statements in that time, there'll be no policies in that time. We're just going to, to lay everything aside and listen. Uh, and, and then that could be followed up with some local and international forums to be held, importantly, including the voices of those who are gender and sexuality diverse, both within and outside the Salvation Army, both from the context like Australia or Europe, also from context like Pakistan and Indonesia and the Philippines and Africa, because those voices are there. And it would be great to hear regularly from IHQ, and it's a bit of a struggle in our context because we do have this uh, system where everything comes through the territorial leadership, but I think it would be good for people on the grassroots to know that headquarters is working on this. We don't get, you know, we, we said before, there's not a lot of feedback heard when we try to push it up. It goes two ways. People on the yeah. ground don't really hear what's going on inter internationally, and that can make people quite despondent. Uh, and, of course, I think what we really need to see is a review and a relaunch of the Let's Talk process. It's good material. It's really well written. It's, it's accessible. We've seen it work well in places like Chile, starting to roll out in Australia and in, in Europe and in UK. There's been a few, uh, as we've just heard, it's, the water's been tested in Pakistan, certainly in terms of some other topics. It would be great to relaunch it and give it a really good go and see see where it takes us, uh, but with perhaps some feedback uh, opportunity. And I think, Marcia, you mentioned also like a key thing, like it's dialogue, but it's also education. Uh, you mentioned education on, you know, and that, that goes for all issues, doesn't it? Um, where we we need to help people think and be trained in a way to think or articulate um, things, you know, new research or new findings on, on all, all matters of sexuality. Uh, and I know that the Let's Talk material is, is a number of different that are contextualised to some places specifically. But, um, yeah, I think that's uh, an interesting aspect that we need to talk we need to have dialogue that is without an agenda, but also there's elements of education that needs to happen on a number of things. Um, and, to, and to understand that yeah, there are complexities, but they're multifaceted. You know, that this is a mm. huge missional important issue in the Salvation Army in, in the, the global north and the South Pacific. Yeah. The future of the Salvation Army in those countries does rely on us moving on this issue. The, the, the figures Absolutely. speak for themselves. We also need to understand the complexity of the lives that are at risk and are being lost because of this in, in countries mm. in, in the global south and take into account where the conversation's at. But we also need a layer of openness and authenticity and transparency around addressing some of those fears that exist. Mm. Because as I said, there might be very well-grounded fears, but actually when you scratch the surface, there's, they're, they're, come up. Yeah. yeah, they're not. Um, there's nothing really to back them up. But what we do have yeah. backup for is the lives that are being lost in those countries. What we do have backup for is the absolute decimation of the Salvation Army in other parts of the world uh, because of this. Yeah. So we're going to talk yeah. openly and honestly and put everything on the table and 
yeah, call it for what it is, a time of discernment, a time of listening, a time of learning, a time of educating, a time of informing. Uh, but, mm. but certainly listening is going to be fundamental. Yeah. Thank you so much both. I think um, it's been a helpful conversation and um, I, I'm just reminded of uh, Gowan's and Larson's song when they say, they shall come from the east, they shall come from the west and they sit down in the kingdom of God. And it's that kind of aspect that when you sit at the table, you you changed for the better uh, because you meet and you dialogue or you, uh, you're trying to understand something of the kingdom and the agenda of God that is uh, about love and, um, and growing that love and extending that welcome to the whosoever. And uh, thank you, Nasia, for particularly speaking out from your context, because I think that's really helpful to help us unpack the complexities, but also to look at, actually, there's hope because there's people who've done it. And uh, there are ways to go about. Um, that is not a reason to not change in specific circumstances. Uh, and we have seen that happening on other um, policies in the past, like divorce and um, I know um, on single spouse marriages and, and officership's been also another one of those. Um, thank you so much. I think I'm, um, I'm uh, privileged to call you friends and uh, uh, to be part of this family as we kind of work out our, our way in the world. Uh, if you are interested about more uh, resources, I'll just reiterate the included page. You just put includedpage.com and there's links there for our uh, YouTube channels where you can listen to the webinars and get involved uh, with the stories and the testimonies, uh, which very much uh, carries the voices of the Rainbow community, uh, putting them at the centre of it all. And um, also on Facebook, just type in included page and uh, you can link in with us there. Uh, do feedback uh, with us. Uh, that will be fantastic. Well, God bless you both. Um, good night to you, Chris, and uh, good morning, yeah. Nasia. Thanks, Rebecca. <laughs> Have a lovely it's been day. A real pleasure to connect, Nasia. Thanks for everything. God bless you. God bless.